Welcome to ThorCast, Tampa's health and organized recreation podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, and today I'll be interviewing local author Bonnie Salino about her book, uh, Kirkdagian Island, right? Kirkdag. Johan and the Secret Caves. Oh, I had the old title, didn't I? I well, Jeff, you weren't entirely wrong. Cordobian Island and the Secret Caves was what the book was titled first. Yes. And I was informed after a year and a half that unless I was talking to someone, they really didn't understand what the book was named. Hmm. and that I should rename it. And because I'm doing a series of three, we decided to go with Johan, which is our narrator in the book. So it's the Cordobian Island. Island. Cordobian. Cordobian. Cordobian Island. And it's... it's That's the series. Where the, yes. And it's where the, 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 it takes place on Cordobian Island. And uh, all three of the books will do that. Why don't you read the synopsis? Um, well, Yohan the Secret Caves in the Cordobian Island series uses her... Oh, Bonnie Salino, excuse me. Um, I use my experience of Noble Way and its wonderful people to take us on an invisible island north of Norway. With my scientific curiosity and a splash of fantasy, I bring Cordobian Island to life. Um, on this once Viking vacation spot, 11-year-old Johan and his friends Anna, Christian, and Mickey explore the island and bring their unique skills of investigation to solve this mystery filled with adventures of poison pterodactyls, secret caves, and kidnapped friend, and a priceless treasure. Who is so bold as to invade this idyllic island? Who kidnapped a child with Down syndrome, and what treasure does the island hold? Okay. And now I'm going to ask you some questions, just sure. general questions. Um, what was your inspiration for writing this book? The, the inspiration, I was outside on my patio, and a, a large crane, I think it was, flew over. And I jokingly said, a pterodactyl just flew over the house, which gave me the first line of my book. And and as I began thinking about an island and pterodactyls and kids, it just kind of evolved. And I always say that I didn't write the book, that the narrator just got inside my head and told me what he wanted me to put him on. Yeah. And and so it was it was just along those lines that if I knew I had hit a wall, that there was a, a challenge that okay, how am I gonna solve this? I knew Johan would handle it. That it would be done. And it was. You know, I might be getting up at three o'clock in the morning to because it's like Oh, I can do that, and yes. running to put it on paper or into my computer. Yeah, seems like the all those really good thoughts come at a time when you should be in bed. I have this theory that there's a something in your brain that as soon as you lay down, a liquid flows to a certain part of your brain, and it turns things on. <laughs> Maybe it's the the melatonin being formed uh, by the pineal gland. Maybe. 
I know that I have had ideas at night, and I have actually held my head sideways until I could get a piece of paper and a pen to write it down, because I knew if I put my head up, it was gone. The thought was gone. That was it. And it, oh, I always laughed at myself because I know it's silly. I mean, I I don't take it seriously, but it works for me, and mm-hmm. that's all I care about. I just grab my phone and speak into it. And ah, uh, see, I won't put the phone in the bedroom. So. <laughs> Yeah, oftentimes it's like, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll speak it and I'll, I'll send it to Brandy and the next morning we have to try to ins- decipher my sleepy mushmouth uh, message. Right. Well, it's the same when you write on paper by your bed. It's like, oh, I've run these lines together because I haven't turned the light on either. So oh, you're this in the dark. Is, this, is, <laughs> this is a fine-tuned machine I have going here. Uh, what literary pilgrimage um, have you gone on? Uh, Norway seems to be a character in and of itself. It's interesting because I don't think of having gone on a, a, a particular voyage t- to write. That having been in Norway and having some wonderful people and friends in Norway and traveled around the country, that was in my head. That was there. That was my experience. And when I was writing, I drew on that. Mm-hmm. So I've had lots of experiences. We've done a lot of traveling. And any stories that come out of that are ne- not necessarily intentional. Mm. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, Norwegian cooking that sounded delicious. I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There was a lot of Norwegian cooking. I guess I just think family comes together around a meal. And and so that's where it came from, the, the feeding the family constantly. My second book, I've kind of given them other things to do. But, but it was my first book, and... It just is important. I think people are relaxed and talk and, and share things around a meal. Oh, yeah. You know, so. Um, you should almost, uh, at, at the end of your second book, you know, how you, you put a, a, a glossary at the end of uh-huh. this one? You should put, like, a cookbook. Oh, you know, you say that. <laughs> I actually thought, you know, maybe I'd, I'd do a small cookbook because it, it was fun to do, and then I thought, well, let's finish one thing and then get on to the, the second. But I did put the ice cream recipe in there. I thought okay. that was okay. important. <laughs> um, does writing energize or exhaust you? I I wouldn't do it if it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't put myself in positions that I'm not happy or comfortable in. I don't have to. I'm not going to do that. I just, you know, even at 3 o'clock in the morning when I, an idea hits, I get up and I'm up for another hour because I feel so motivated and ready to go. That's good. That's and good. I just love writing. I just really love doing it. It's not a job. It's not a chore. It's, oh, this sounds interesting. Let me put it down. Let me see where it goes. I always feel good, you know, good about myself. After I write a little, it's like putting your own, put, you know, putting your thoughts for out there for everyone to read gives them. Absolutely, yeah. and and the I, when I was writing short stories for a YouTube that my family and I were going to be doing, 
um, I had these characters from Brooklyn, New York, and I had done several short stories, and my sister said, you should write a, a novel of this. And I said, I don't think it's such a limited area. I don't think a broader audience would appreciate it. I, I could be wrong, but... There are a lot of just, stories set in New York. And there are, but it just, for whatever reason... I didn't, maybe I didn't feel like I could take it any further than the three or four shorts that I had done. But when I started to write, this is a short story. And as I said, my characters just kept talking until 400 pages later, it was done. And uh, so it, it was fine, and I enjoyed that. Not that I didn't enjoy the short stories, because I did, and that gave me, you know, gives you the confidence to, Oh, I can write a story, and it makes sense, and people like it. And then you go on to the next and the next. So it's it's been fun. Are we ever going to see that podcast or YouTube channel? No, I think we kind of put that on the back burner. We, I think that it just didn't work. Hmm. It it wasn't. There were uh, several elements, and we just said. This was fun. We, we, you know, tested the waters. We, we had some fun together. That's the most but, important, that's the most important part. Fun. And absolutely, absolutely. And I think when the fun just kind of started to end, we just kind of said, and I got involved with the book, honestly. I, you know, I take responsibility for that. I was involved in writing a book, so I really didn't want to do short stories for something else that that it was on hold anyway so yeah writing can take up some time that's for sure uh, oh my friend uh who i interviewed last time um he uh we had we, we do a podcast actually we do several podcasts but we hadn't podcasted in a couple of months because he was working on his second book and then he took a trip to england and oh nice we just recorded our first podcast that back from this Monday. Uh-huh. So it's Monday, so. Going again. Good. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, what is your writing kryptonite, if there is any? You know, when I, I thought about it, I said, I, I think what I like to stay away from is violence. Hmm. I really am not interested in writing violence. I wrote a book prior to this. It was based on a true story. Um, not a book for kids, just because it's not a book for kids. Um, it, the, the amount, the storyline was inappropriate for children. But it was just based on a true story, so it's, it's, you know, I didn't have to stretch on that one. But there was a scene in it that was very difficult. It was a, a an act of violence. And when I would edit it, I would skip that chapter. And I had to do it several times. And then it was like, well, this has to be edited. I have to go back and do this. But it was very difficult. And the fact that I could write it the first time surprised me. So... You know, going over it, just very uncomfortable. So, again, 
Violence is not something that's in my wheelhouse. I'm not comfortable with it. But that's good that your own writing can strike an emotional chord with you, because if it strikes an emotional chord with you, it'll strike an emotional chord with others, most well, likely. Uh, yeah, so. uh, hopefully, yes. Okay. <laughs> I've put a few places in books I've written, you know, some of the books I'm writing on, I haven't finished any, but <laughs> I'm writing several, um, that... Yeah, there's certain parts you get a little emotional. Oh, it was like, you know, I it was like, I can't, I can't read anymore. I can't do that. And and I didn't have to. You know, I could put it away and, and go back to it. I wasn't on anybody's deadline other than my own. That's that's nice. Yeah. Well, I like the violent ones. You write the nonviolent ones. And, and I, you know, and I, I will read them. I am embarrassed by some of the shows that I watch because it's like, Murder, murder here and murder there, and it's like you know, it's like one right after another until I am having nightmares and say to my husband, "We, we, we have to watch one happy movie before we go to bed." You need a rom com. Yeah, <laughs> but it's 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 you know you know what you can do and what you can't do, and it's I don't have to do it. Yeah, you know. Um. Do you try more to be original or to deliver to readers what they want? I absolutely try to be original. Having said that, I think that it's important to understand what your audience is interested Mm -hmm. in. Um, I don't go, oh, my audience is really going to love this. But I do think that is that how they want to see Mickey? Is that how they want to see Christian or Anna? You know, and in that respect, I, I, I'm aware of uh, the audience. And maybe that's more the character development than the audience. But I think, I, I know there are times when my son has read something I've read and they'll go, that doesn't sound like Christian. That sounds more like Mickey. So... You know, you know your audience is aware of that, so you, you do try to be true to the character. Yeah, um, I was. That's one thing I was really worried about is writing. You know, other characters. My my first book, I, I kept it easy on myself. I kind of based the main character on me, because <laughs> I know what I'm thinking and I, I know what I would do. Right. But then trying to write realistic dialogue for everybody else that doesn't sound like me. You know, I found that was that was difficult. And, uh, and speaking of uh, writing what your audiences want, I don't know if you've ever read like uh, George R. R. Martin, uh, Game of Thrones. I have not. Some of that can be quite punishing to read because oh, you like that character too bad. <laughs> you know? Oh, no, uh, I would not be happy. And, <laughs> but the the writing's good enough. I mean, he's a good writer. Uh, that you push through despite not right. being always happy right. <laughs> with the outcomes. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's no, he's known for that, killing off his characters. Um, what other authors are your friend are you friends with, and how do they help you become a better writer? I am not close friends with many authors. What I do is when I go to workshops or author presentations and showcases, 
I love to go and talk to the different authors and see what they're doing and what they're interested in. Um, I have a couple of Facebook friends that are authors. Um, their works are totally different than mine. One is a, a spiritual, uh, religious author. The other one, uh, it is a biographical, darker World War II prison camp type author. Dark. <laughs> but we can talk to each other and appreciate the process that they're going through. So I think that's what it is. I think as authors, it's more, you know, oh, I've been there, done that, or good for you, look how far you've come. So, yep. you know, that kind of support is what we look it's for. It's probably good that uh, they write different than you. There's no accidental crossover of material. But, and that's, and <laughs> I think that's why I avoid being very close to other writers because I don't want, I don't want to have that as a problem because I think it could be a problem. I, you know, I mean, it's like when you see shows on TV and this show and this show are that they have the same things in them. You know, it's not a coincidence. It's the producers had dinner and said, Oh, this guy came and talked. Yeah, I don't, I don't want that. I want to try to do. For me, what my characters do, and you were talking about the murder shows again, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, oh, I had a question. I forgot. Uh, um, oh yeah. Have you ever thought about um, getting uh, somebody who's an artist and uh, maybe uh, shortening and condensing the story into a kids' book, like a picture book? I haven't. I. I don't know. I have a hard enough time writing a synopsis about the book. Then to be able to condense so it. So I'm not sure how much you can see this. I don't have a problem talking. So the words just spill out. So I don't think that I could condense it very far. Because uh, there are little pictures. I book. have... Um, a friend who did the, the pictures for me, the, and uh, she's done the illustrations for my next book, too. Um, so that was, that was fun, because I substitute taught in New Jersey, and I'd read the stories to the, the middle schoolers, and they liked the pictures. They liked to see what was happening. And I thought, oh, they haven't grown out of that. And I think that's really nice because even my son, when he was reading it, he, he said he appreciated having the pictures. And so I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's just a nice touch. And, yeah, what's the what's the name of the big furry ones with the big feet? And, oh, um, um, Brisky is his name. Brisky. He's a Breen Scapling. Yes. And uh, yeah, he <laughs> he was. I had I had actually sketched him out and went, okay, Raven, would you do me a favor and make him look like he's real instead of a flat piece of paper with some black lines on it? So she was able to to do that for him. So I see. There's, there's pterodactyls. There's the green skeplings. There's green uh, green scraplings. There's uh, a blue yeti, yep. and we have upside down trolls, which are yes. good luck. 
There are some trolls that are for good luck. They're not all mean or mischievous. Unless they vomit on you. Well. <laughs> Wasn't that? It, you know, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> uh, um, do you want each book to stand on its own, or are you trying to build a body of work with the connections between each book? I like writing different formats and different storylines, but I'm enjoying having... And I'm intending to do at least three in this series. Um, it was when the very first book signing I went to, when I was talking to people, I'd say, you know, I've written the book called, and I'd say, it was Cordobian at the time, I'd go, Cordobian Island and the Secret Storm. And my sister and my husband would go, secret cave. <laughs> and I'd go, why am I writing Storm? You know, I mean, I've written the book. I, I know it's secret cave. So I wrote secret Storm down, and I said, that must be the name of my next book. Ah. So Fortuitous. in writing the next book, I just assumed I had to use that. For the third book, I went to my niece before I had renamed it Yoan, I showed her the picture of the book and said, Crystal, I said, I have to rename the book. I said, what are your thoughts? And she's going, river, river. And I'm going, river. Because the caves behind These the are secret caves, you know. And I'm thinking, and Crystal has Down syndrome, so she doesn't get all the nuances. And I said, oh, I bet that's the name of my next book. <laughs> So Secret Storm is going to be number... Two. And, and Secret and, River is... And, well, I w I'm going to do Johan and the Raging River for my second one. A uh, third one, rather. So, yeah. Flooding, global warming. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a lot of uh, green technology in your books. Yeah. I, I found that quite nice. I think it's important. I think it's really important to... Put it out, and it's whether you believe in global warming or not. Green technology is good. Green technology doesn't hurt, green. you know. I mean, I'm not going to give someone my opinion. People are entitled to their thoughts, but so what? Does it hurt anybody that my car is a hybrid? Does it hurt anybody that I recycle? And in the book, I wanted to extend that. They're on an island. And if you look at it, we're just a round island, and we're all speak maybe different languages, but it's not any different. Yeah. And, you know, you have to take care of what you have. Well, you have uh, tens of thousands just in the U.S. who die from pollution-related asthma. A absolutely. You want to be at least respectful of nature. Yeah. That, to me, is all it is. You might, we don't have to go into politics. It's something very simple that I learned when I was a Girl Scout. You know? It's, you my, know, my, yeah. My camera woman is a, uh, not a Girl Scout, uh, the, what's the Girl Scout equivalent? I got the Gold Award. The Gold Award, which wow, is... Wow, awesome. Yeah. Which is the same Eagle Pen as the Boy Scouts Award, essentially, but we call it the Gold Award. All right. <laughs> very cool. Um, let's see, let's see. How did publishing your first book change your process of writing? 
it slowed it down because then I was involved in marketing. And marketing takes a great deal of time and energy and thought that I would rather be doing writing, but there's a responsibility to the hours and time I spent on the first book that I have to do that process. Need a manager. Well, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? That would be very nice. Own manager, a personal assistant. Yeah. But we didn't have to pay them. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> right. Have you put any of them into the libraries? I know that there's a couple in the libraries. I have not put them there, um, but I have. People have requested them at the library, and then they were bought that way. Excellent. Um, so that was that was nice. That was very nice. Yeah. Uh, we put some of my friend's books in a couple of libraries. So, uh, What was the best money you ever spent as a writer? Oh, on, the, on my uh, computer, on my laptop. Not, not I, the I vacations? Mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, handwriting or, or, you know, that I love. I love, I have a laptop and two monitors and that's my life, you know. That's my writing life. Yeah, the the two monitor thing makes it so much easier. So you can have your 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 book up and your notes up. And, yeah. Well, and and what I do is I Google so much. I mean, I'm the mm -hmm. queen of Google. <laughs> I haven't gotten the crown yet, but I'm there. But the scepter somewhere. Oh, here. somewhere. <laughs> but it's it's I'm writing and I'm googling this and that and. You know, it's 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 been great fun because, as you said, although you see the, the the green, there's science there that is based on fact mm -hmm. that I have gone. Okay, I have a crystal, and I have this. Surely, the two are connected some way, and I'll I'll just Google my little heart out until I can find. Maybe some obscure research somewhere, because it's not always mainstream. Yeah. But, but someone has done this, and it was like, yes, and I can give it a label and a name, and it was interesting. Um, in, in the next book, they're in a cave, and it's like, okay, how do I get from here to here? And, I did some research. I was so excited that it was something basic as the batteries in our type of technology used for the batteries in our watch is just what I needed to put into the life scene. Lithium ion or? No, it's a, oh gosh, I can't even pronounce it. It's this huge long word, but it's the, it's the technology that makes it go. Hmm. And it was like, oh, this is, I have a label. I, I can put it in and, and this would actually work. Now, there are some things in the book that the science is almost there and you just need a little magic to make it work the rest of the way, but it's fiction. Hey, yeah, nothing wrong with a little magic. No. And it was funny because in the next book, I have a scene where there's sounds and lights coming from these sounds. And I actually Googled, okay, uh, sounds generating lights. 
And I found this experiment that some researchers, I think it was in California, had done. And based on the frequency of the sound, they were able to produce the, the lights. And I went, yes, I, I can, you know, it's real. It's just... High frequency sound, probably. It, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just the intensity of the high frequency allowed the light. Apparently, you can do it in reverse with the lights and the sound, and that's common in the scientific world. But this way was unique, and I went, there you go. I'll have to look that up. I was really pleased that, that, that I'll have an idea, okay, I want this to happen. How can I make it happen? And then I can find that someone has worked on the same thing. I, I like to do that in my stories, too, as if there's something scientific I can bring to the table that is either real or theoretically possible. Right. Uh, um, it's nice to do because some, sometimes there, uh, I can't remember what they're called, but just these little things that help you get over, over a little hurdle, you know, story-wise. Uh-huh. Uh, but whenever I can put in some actual information, get people thinking, you know, that's good. I, I read uh, Rod, Roddenberry's uh, bio several years ago. Star Trek? Yep. In case you don't know. And he had friends in different scientific communities I think I heard dealing with space. Yeah. And he put, you know, they'd say, well, they're working on this or they're working on that. He didn't have Google then. But he had all these friends who admired his work, and he admired them. So he yeah. could pull from that. And it's really funny because if you watch some of the old ones, you'll hear things that they're using now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look at their their trans. I don't even know whatever they call the communicator. Communicator. Yeah. We've got them now. The yeah. things that they they beam me up, Scotty and stuff. They're working on that. This is this is real, and I wanted to to do that. I wanted to bring that reality into here because I want these people. Yes, there's pterodactyls, trolls, and maybe a yeti, you know. But I wanted people to believe in this possibility of this island and this way of life. I wanted the characters to be real. I wanted the emotional feelings to be real. So the science helps me do that. Or the Yeti, you have uh, Gigantopithecus. Yes. Which really existed. And uh, there are pockets like uh, the uh, pygmy mammoths, still existed uh, off the coast of California and these little islands, you know, long after all the other ones were dead. I mean, things do happen. But. Absolutely. And I don't, you know, and and I think that it's just, it's fun to imagine. Yeah, maybe the trolls are homo erectus. Or maybe they're just <laughs> trolls. You don't know. You know, maybe they're, they're something wonderful that someone saw and gave them this magical... Mm-hmm. Whatever, but it's great fun. Um, 
What authors did you dislike at first, but then grew into? If I don't enjoy an author's work, I don't finish the book, and there, I, I can't remember one book that I haven't finished. That I think I may not, I may have gone, hmm, not my style, or I may have read a second book to give them a chance. But I really, I love to read. I used to read the the Kellogg's box when I was eating cereal for breakfast. So, so you know, reading is reading, you、mm-hmm. know, and and I don't take it out on the author if I don't particularly <laughs> like it. Well, you know, I'll go on to something else because I also don't read the same genre. I might read biographies、Uh-oh. or. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Forecast is brought to you by Focus Fitness. Focus Fitness massage and Focus Mitt kickboxing seven two seven six nine two ninety one zero five. Focus Fitness seven two seven focuses on you six nine two. De stress ninety one zero five with kickboxing for mental and physical fitness. Sometimes you just want to hit something. When you work out with my husband, you'll hit Focus Mitt pads. Jeff has leveled routines for beginners to experts. You learn effective defense and offense techniques while engaging in an energizing, fun workout. Call seven two seven six nine two ninety one zero five. Focus Fitness seven two seven focuses on you six nine two. De stress ninety one zero five with an in home massage for mental and physical fitness. Traffic is obnoxious. Do you really want to have another place you have to drive? Save yourself the stress. He'll drive to you. I can attest an in-home massage is best. Instead of red lights and errands to run after massage, get your massage then veg on the couch. A Focus Fitness medical massage focuses on fixing the things that keep you from moving. Seven two seven. A Focus Fitness sports massage focuses on keeping athletes limber. Six nine two. A Focus Fitness stretching massage allows you to stay in your sweats while Jeff focuses on getting your limbs back in action. Ninety one oh five. A Focus Fitness relaxation massage focuses on easing away the stresses of the day. Call Focus Fitness Massage and Focus Mitt Kickboxing. Call seven two seven six nine two ninety one zero five. Focus Fitness Massage and Focus Mitt Kickboxing. Focus Fitness focusing on your mental and physical fitness. Focus Fitness. Let's focus the letter J. Fitness. dot tumblr. dot com. And now back to our regular program. <laughs> and we're back from these messages. <laughs>、um, let me see what we were talking about.、Uh, I just, I just. Where am I going to get? I can't experience everything in the world、mm-hmm. myself, but my, but by reading, I can get an idea of how the rest of the world sees things. And like, yeah,、uh, can't remember who said it, but、uh, um, it's almost like reading someone else's mind when you read their works. You're, you're, you're seeing into exactly. Or 
as close as you can to what they were they were thinking, and that can they could be dead for a hundred years, and you're reading their mind, their thoughts. So I, I know in high school, I loved biographies. It just fascinated me how someone came from here to here and the process that they experienced. You know, um, I I just I I think that helped me learn to to enjoy reading as much as I did because of, oh, this person did this, and, you know, or you're in a hotel in some strange city, and there happened, I was in the Hilton Hotel, and for some reason they had the biography of Hilton, the oh. gentleman. So I sat and read the book that, that weekend. It was like, okay, you know, the, isn't that interesting? How did he get from here to owning all these hotels, having all that money? You know, why not? It doesn't hurt. <laughs> you, you learn something. You, if you only pick up one sentence out of a whole book, that's one more bit of knowledge that you have than when you, than you had before. Yeah. And speaking of knowledge, talking about Google, there's so much knowledge now that's available. There is, and you have to, uh, you know, unless you're looking for obscure scientific uh, events. Which I do. Yeah, well, <laughs> you have to read, and, and, and you have to research different areas so that they repeat, that, that you're not just getting a person's viewpoint, that you're getting several different people's viewpoint in several different areas. So that you know this is real, because today it seems to be a problem deciphering real and fake. And I think it's really important that you understand where it's coming from and, and why it's being said. And you mean werewolves and vampires aren't real? I, as far as I know, <laughs> I don't know. I've never met one. I've read about some, but I think that until they so show us real pictures, an interview perhaps or two, I'll put that in my fantasy side of my writings. <laughs> I've heard that some kids are having a real issue because the special effects are so good now that it's like, oh, yeah, the werewolf. There we are. I, I, and and you know it's it's I have a nephew who at a very young age he happened to go to the cemetery and we brought flowers for my parents and we were talking about you know that they had passed on my my sister had explained all that before we got there and I turned around and said you know this person used to be in the army and whatever they have and I said this person, I said, Mr. Kellogg, and, and jokingly said, well, I guess he was in cereal. And my nephew said, well, he's a zombie now. And, and <laughs> did, I mean, he was five years old. It wasn't, you know, seven or eight that I would have expected that. And he sounded like that was the next, you know, you die and then you become a zombie, as if this was a real thing. Well, we were so busy laughing, and and 
imagining what my poor mother was thinking. <laughs> that that it's just you know that's what people think. There there really probably are a lot of people that aren't concerned. There was an article. And I can't remember the group that does it, but every year there's a group that puts on Facebook the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. They tweeted it. Yeah, I heard about that. And people were furious because they thought we were talking about someone else. This is our Declaration of Independence. Look it up. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's like, didn't you notice the kind of old-timey language? Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's like... And apparently people took their responses off Twitter once they knew that this was real. They're like, oh, I look stupid. Oh, delete that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, it's, you know, it's like there's just so much anger out there that we don't really, there's an assumption that somebody's going to be mad at me, so I'm going to be mad first. <laughs> Defensive mechanism, yeah. People need to study the history more. Well, yeah, and 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 we all make mistakes. We're all not perfect, and maybe on a on a certain day, a certain line, I might not have picked up, and I might have assumed. But she, that person that that tweeted, at least she had sense enough to realize. Oh, I'm sorry, and she apologized. But but you can't jump to. Conclusions. You can't jump to that hate and anger place in your. I try not to type anything reactionary. Just like, yeah. I I think about it a little bit first. It's like, is this really worth my effort? I know because I'm always. I'm like you. I leave it for a while and just say someone else is going to make a comment. (laughs) But then I might, after a couple of days, having thought about it, not going. You know, this is really. You know, you shouldn't be writing like this. This is not right. You know, where's the hate coming from? Speaking of trolls, don't feed the trolls. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, What was an early experience where you learned that language had power? I think kids learn at a very young age that language has power. They get what they want very early with grunts and groans. But I think the power that it has is when it's not said properly or fully in full sentences, in people writing what they mean or what they want to say. And and if someone has written something and it's, it's not correct, it's not grammatically correct, then you look at it and go, well, this is how I view this. The power is taken away. You lose the power of the words when you have to explain yourself. Yes. And I think that's what words have. I think that's where the power is, is what's lost by not using it properly, correctly, um, you know, Explaining yourself. Now, for me, it was probably uh, Tolkien or Jack London. That, I mean, some of the speeches some of in the, there. Are so uh, and, and there are. I mean, but there's there's so much of that in our history. You know, we're talking Declaration of Independence. That's power. That uh, you know, Gettysburg Address. There's you know, there's a a. 
power and leadership. And, and it's, you know, there are just so many ways that words that are thoughtful and, and correct are, are very powerful. Yes. Uh, just like reading some of the letters just from normal soldiers back in, you know, the, the Civil War. I mean, some of them were beautiful writers. Is it not amazing hmm. how well written farmers wrote? I mean, Tend to think of them as hundreds fairly, of years ago. Yeah, a lot of people tend to think of them as fairly uneducated. But if you, you read their words, to they're not uneducated. They're thoughtful, and and they are people with emotions. Mm-hmm. They're people with character. They're people that can explain what they want to say. That's where power is. Yeah. I don't have to go back and say what were you thinking here. You know what they're thinking. You know Paint, what they were experiencing. Paints a picture in your mind. It absolutely yeah. does. And I think that that's, that's, it's just amazing when you come across people who you didn't expect. And I don't know whether that's because we have TV, because we have computers, Twitter, Facebook, texting takes away some of that. But, but if you look at it, when you, when you text someone, how many texts does it take before you understand where you're meeting for dinner? You know, seriously. Um, so it's like, you know, it's, it's the world is, we're straining to understand what each other wants to say and, I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go. Yeah, text abbreviation and emojis isn't always the best choice. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, what What's your favorite underappreciated novel? I don't know. Because I look at it as not... I look at works of uh, writing as not how other people see them, but if it's my favorite, then I appreciate it, and that's all that's important to me. I know maybe that's a lame answer, but no. I, I think I think that's kind of how I look at it. It's really not. I really don't care what the critics think or what the populace finds, you know, incredibly attractive at the time. That's good. You know, I like what I like, and and that's. You know, I'm very self-centered. I'm very, you know, it, it's meaning, so that's enough for me. It's a good outlook. I, I like that. <laughs> um, as a writer, what would you choose as your mascot, avatar, spirit animal? Well, I probably should say a, a, a pterodactyl or a, a troll or a brain scapling. But I think I have the reality is... I don't need to hide behind something else or someone else. I don't need a mask. I mean, I'm, this is me. Take me or leave me. You know, I, I'm just, that's who I am. That's, I'm confident enough in my own successes and my own mistakes. So I don't have to 
have something else to, you know, I don't need a red cape and a big S on my chest. I'm, you know. <laughs> Reminds me of a picture I made with a gorilla with a cape and a big S chest. <laughs> But that is, that's very Zen. You are your own spirit animal. I, I guess so. I guess so, <laughs> you know. Um, what do you owe the real people upon whom you base your characters? I have met so many people and taken so many characteristics from each of them to make one character and then another mm-hmm. that I there's not one character in my book that I can say that's that character is this person that that character may have certain traits of somebody you know or... but then it's more than one person Mickey has down syndrome a 10-year-old little boy. I decided that I didn't want... I wanted someone who was different in my book. And it was because of my niece, Crystal, who has Down syndrome, who is the most competent person that I know in the entire planet, that I chose Down syndrome. And... But I also knew I wanted a little boy, so we didn't change him to be her, but I took her characteristics, her strengths, and saw how she looks at things and gave it to him. But she's not 10 years old. She's in her 30s. So I had to take a 10-year-old boy, so I had to take from that experience and, and what my niece is capable of doing. And mixing them all up to give me Mickey and, and give me a character that I like. Cause I had, I, I've always said that these characters are children and adults that I would be proud to have as neighbors. And I think that that's important to me. That's good. They do seem fairly, fairly honest for little kids. I, I think, I think it's important that that, you know, they're not perfect, uh, you know. <laughs> Who is? And, and that's it. I didn't want them to be perfect, but I wanted, you, you see so many kids on TV that are disrespectful and smarty pants. And I didn't want kids like that because most kids are. Most kids are very respectful and polite. When they're together with you, sometimes when they're in a little group with their friends, they take it to a different level. Yes. But, you know, it doesn't take away from their character. It just is that part of their humanity that they're learning, and and they'll be fine. I think we all knew that person growing up that was fine if you got them on their own. They were were nice to talk to and nice, but get them in a group and they... Different. Yeah, who is that yeah. child? You like, know, I, I mean, as as a, when I taught in New Jersey, it was like, and you'd say to kids like, "That's not who you are." Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to impress people. Yeah. <laughs>
more important than being themselves. Right. <laughs> um, how many unpublished and half-finished books do you have? Um, I have two and a half. Well, yeah. I have two completed that have not been published. I have the third in this series, and then I have some short stories that I am accumulating, um, which may or may not end up as a book. I haven't decided how I'm going to do that yet. Uh, I'm terrible about this. I have 30-some uh, story ideas that I've written down, no outlines for. Oh, I, I have ideas, but not, but not in, in enough enough to say, oh, I have another another book there. You know, I have, oh, maybe this would make a nice book pile, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. You'll get there. Maybe. As long as it stays fun, you'll get there. <laughs> and, and, and if it's not interesting then, or if I go back and look at it and go, what were you thinking? That's the dumbest idea you've had yet. And then you move on to the next idea. <laughs> uh, what does literary success look like to you? Every time I sell a book and someone says, I read your book, I love this character, I love that. To me, that's literary success. What I would ultimately like to do is have to see Cordobian Island, to see my characters in a movie, on the big screen, in a setting where other people could see them. Because I think that they're, I really think that they're characters that are are lovable and kind. And, and I recognize that not everybody reads I know we're surprised, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> and and I don't want to deny them a wonderful experience because they chose not to read. Let them see it on a screen. Let them see it in a different way. You know, there are books that I didn't read until after I saw the movie, and then I went, oh, I wonder, I wonder what the difference is. I wonder what's the same. I wonder... You know, and that type of thing. I was like that with the Harry Potter book series. And uh, then you read the book and it's like, oh, it's the same world, but so much more. Right. She was fortunate. She had a lot of control over her characters and her stories. And I think that was really smart. Yeah. You got that many fans. Gives you a little power. Well, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Unlike the unlike uh, the Dresden Files series, which was okay until you read the book, and then you realize, oh, that is kind of pale reflection. Well, and I books. think I think a director can, and a producer can take a book, and they can either lean towards the fantasy really heavy, or they can lean towards the intent of the author in this case, which is to keep it real. You know, either way, it may be an interesting story, but that's not who I wrote, you know. That would be a little upsetting to have 
people changed a lot. It's almost like they're they're messing with, like I said, they're kind of messing with their own thoughts. Right? Yeah. It's like, wait, that was my that came from my brain. You're you're twisting that around a bit. Yeah, I think I think how I think if the characters' moral compasses and and characters remained intact, if they were a little more cartoony than real. I would swallow really hard and look at the check that I have and decided at that particular time how I I felt about it. I mean, you know, but the reality is, you know, maybe it would be better. Maybe it would be better in a movie to do it that way than to do it. I don't know. I'm not. That's not what I do. So I don't know. But I do. But I'm real comfortable with what I do and how I did it. So, hopefully that movie will get made someday, and hopefully, because um, the world you've uh, described in the book sounds like very visually appealing. I, I, I mean, I, I tried, I tried to make a place that I would be happy visiting, and you know, living in even. Um, but I think, I think it's you know, it's fun. It, it's a fun story. It was funny. I was talking to my son one day early on, you know, in the rough drafts and everything, and he said something about my book being a fantasy book. I said, oh, no, my book's not fantasy. He said, Mom, you have a pterodactyl and a troll. And I said, oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) But they're real people to me. So the pterodactyl and the troll, the pterodactyl could be, you know, any bird flying over. They're growing pretty big down here. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and then, you know, and the troll could be just something else. I, it didn't need to be, you know, fantasy, but it is. And, and and then when you think about it, and as I wrote more and refined, I realized that I think a little bit of fantasy is great for people in their lives and stuff and something to laugh at. So we have enough ordinary. We do have lives. enough ordinary. But I, having a troll that was, say, a real person, but having similar characteristics, then you're making fun of a human being. Mm-hmm. And that's not who I am. I don't want to be that person. So having a troll to make fun of, I can do, and he can be whatever he wants to. So I appreciate the opportunity to have fantasy in my book. You can write me as a troll if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the best way to market your books that you found? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping you'll tell me. <laughs> <laughs> what I love to do is go to book signings, and I go to craft shows, and I go to uh, different events where I have opportunities to sign and talk to people. And I like doing that. I can't say it's the best Economically, I I think that it's just fun to do, and you get to talk to people. But it's a very limited number of people that you yeah. do talk to. Um, if I've talked to a hundred people, I've sold twelve books. Sometimes there is that one that just 
happens to be connected and you didn't know about it. <laughs> well, and, and, and that's true. But then when they come back to you at the next time and go, when's the next book coming out or something like that, then you feel like you've made a connection. And that, in the end, is what you really hope to do. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a human being. I wanted the best of both worlds. That's just, you know. Yeah. Um, if I ever figure out the best way to market, I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> um, we, we kind of talked about this uh, research that you do and how long do you, how long do you spend researching uh, it's an ongoing. It's an. I don't ever research in the beginning of the book. It's an ongoing process. As I'm writing, I'll come up with a, a new idea or a new thought or a new challenge, and what's out there that can work here, you know. And um, you know, there are things that I may have said in the book that aren't necessarily true. Or they may be true and I'm not aware of them, but it makes sense that I know I know this is true, so why isn't this true? So I may have written it, th- that in my book, yeah. knowing that that's just the next step in research, and he'll be fine. <laughs> and sometimes people surprise you with the research that you, you could inspire someone to go, yeah, that's a good idea, let's see if I can do that. Right, Just and, and that would be fun. screwed up and got, got the science a little wrong, but say somebody said, I'm going to make that fit. Right, and wouldn't that be fun? And tell them they can write to me and let me know that I had, you know, inspired them. <laughs> that, would be, that would be really cool. Actually. Wouldn't that be awesome? Especially if you got, like, uh, dividends. <laughs> um, do you view writing as a kind of spiritual practice? I, I don't, I'm not sure. I think that writing, when I write, the characters have to be moral, the, the characters have to be of good character, but it's not a need or, or a spiritual quest that I'm on when I write. Um, but, but I think when you create... There's a natural spirituality in, kind in of a, creating. Almost like a ritual, almost. It, yeah, I think, but it's it's what it gives you. Yeah. That that's a connection, a, something that makes you feel good about yourself. Yeah, like I said, by the time I'm done writing it, I feel different, just a different state of mind. And, and, yeah, I mean, there are times, there are some things that you can get into and you do feel that way. Or you've done a, a section and you go surprised that you can you could do that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's great. I'm always looking for something new and different. You know, I think it's important to continue to learn, to continue to experience and and there's so much more experiences that I I want to do, I want to see. So it's it's you know, writing is just an extension of that. That's good. It's good to be always striving for knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, I would go crazy if I had to if I wasn't creating on some level. Yeah. 
What What's the most difficult thing about writing characters from the opposite sex? You know, I think if I had, and I don't in this this book, or I don't see it in this book, if I had a character who was a macho, tough guy, I would want to give him justice. I would want to be able to, to give him the strength and the machismo that he would require for that character. I, I, I would have to, I would have to really give a lot of thought to that because I don't have that. It's not in my wheelhouse yet. And most of the men that I know, most of, doesn't that sound awful? That came out really weird. Men in my life, husbands, fathers, neighbors, friends, are cousins. They're gentlemen. They're not, you know, bulls in a china shop, although they can be. But they're <laughs> not really, and these are the characters, these are the men that I've written. They're gentlemen. They're kind. They have character. Um, you know, I think if I had a character that was opposite of that, I, I, it would be challenging and would require a lot of research. I'd have to really understand that mindset. And would you ever write one of those from a first-person perspective? I don't know that I could. I'm not sure. I have, a, I have a, a teenage girl in one of my books, and I haven't written from her perspective yet, but I plan to, and it's like, ooh, a little, a little nervous about it. Yeah, I mean, and it is. You, you have to, you know, I could write, there are things, understanding a, the 12-year-old boys, you know, I, I had sons, he had, he had a, uh, friends, you know, I saw what they thought of, in teaching, you see yeah, teaching. that mindset, so I could relate to some of that, um, but I think as you, as they get older, they're, they're, they're closed in, you don't see it, so you have to really pull it out. Yeah. Of of the character to figure out what he is at nineteen and twenty, where he really is. Where they start bottling everything yeah. in, yeah. like guys do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can write the superficial part of that life. You can write, you know, the getting into trouble with the car, getting doing this, doing. You can write that superficial stuff, but what what they, they were thinking about how they because. Let's face it, boys think completely different than little girls. They just do. There are things that boys will do that little girls wouldn't even think to do. Men will throw a football in the house. I don't know many women who it would occur to them to throw a football in the house. So, so I think there's such a big difference in trying to write those characters. You know? I grew up around farmers, and so the, the things that people throw at each other. Well, and I, I can understand <laughs> that. Boys yeah. throw at each other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think a girl would ever sling a cow by her friend. <laughs> and and there are there are tom girls, and I recognize that. But I think I would have to reach further. 
and try to really grasp that. Yeah. You know, it's not that I didn't get into mischief. I just would have to look really hard for that, what I did and how that worked out for me <laughs> to, if I were to put a character in my book that was into a lot of trouble. Um, how often do you write? I write every day. That's awesome. I write every day, and I write um, several hours a day easily. When I was writing this, oh, I was sleeping in between writing. You know, I was writing constantly, and, and uh, being up at 3 o'clock in the morning was not unknown. I would, I would go to bed at 11 o'clock if I had finished what I was writing. And I'd sleep for a few hours, and I'd get up and do some more writing. And I'd go back to bed, and I'd get up, and I'd be writing. And when I wrote this book, my husband had to take over the cooking and and helping around the house a whole lot more than I expected him to do. I mean, it was like I was so grateful that it was like he'd have to drag me out, lunch is ready, we're having dinner. Did you hear me? I called you five minutes ago. It was like I'd get so involved in my writing that I just, I mean, he's such a big support. I, I couldn't have written this without him. When I wrote the second book, I said, okay, he was wonderful for all this time. I'm not going to make him do that again. That's just not fair. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, ex I don't know that I expected, I accepted it. This time I make more of an effort to be an equal partner and still do what I'm enjoying. So I don't know whether he thinks I'm still equal, I'm not going to ask, but I like that part in my brain that says I am. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> uh, um, what period of your life do you find you write about most often? Well, let's, I, we can skip that one because child. Well, but I have adults in here, yes. and I have uh, I have different ages, and I can take something from my experiences, different times in my life, and what I was feeling, and how I enjoyed this or didn't, and uh, so I don't think there's one time in my life. There are times when, for instance. The kids go off on bike rides and adventures. I remember doing that. You know, I remember the adventures as a kid going off and, and you know, and you look back and wonder, how the heck did you survive? You know, how aren't you killed when you were doing this or that? But it's, you know, it was all part of the process. Yeah, the, the part where they crashed their bike, that, that I really felt that one because... Uh, that was one of the only nicknames I ever had as a kid. My dad called me Crash. Ah. Because <laughs> when I was switching from, from the, the foot brake to the hand brake, I, I would sometimes use the stop sign to stop. I'd crash into the stop oh, sign. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I flipped my bike so many times. <laughs> um, have you read anything that made you feel different about fiction? I don't remember the author of the title of the book, but there were some fantasy adult books, grown-up books, that I've read 
that talked about things not of this world. And I found it fascinating, the fantasy, but not, but in a grown-up way that they saw, they saw different miracles and, and some were witches, but not to that extent. There were other things, deers that transformed into, and it amazed me that that was part of an adult writing experience. So I think probably something like that was just that kind of fantasy that their their natural world changed and evolved and they were maybe on a picnic lunch and then all of a sudden they were in this magical... But it was written for adults. It was not written for kids. So it just was interesting. I think more and more adults are embracing fantasy and adventure um, it's no longer seen as, oh, that's not cool, or that's not adult. You know, it's, it's, it's okay to have fun. Right. Well, and I, I've talked to many adults who have read my books or are interested in reading these types of books, and they say they love them. They, they're fast reading. The storylines are often sophisticated enough for them, and, and it's just something different. And, and it's a world that they can go into and, and enjoy. Yeah. Um, how do you select the names of your characters? Because they're, it's set in Norway, and because I have a lot of friends and family who are living in Norway, it was really easy picking names from that pool. Um, and so... When I went through a lot of people that I that I personally know and use their names, then I would just Google and I'd pick maybe an English name and then Google it to see how close it is in Norwegian and mm. how it worked. Or if I was looking for a characteristic, I'd look it in Norwegian to see if this was... You know, I always looked at the definitions of, of the, the world because yeah, because it needed to to fit. But but I know that my my friends in Norway giggle and were and were pleased with their character names that you know oh she used me or she you know embarrassed at the same time because Norwegians embarrass very easily. <laughs> they they do not. Um, pat themselves on their backs. They just move along and do their job, and they're very... They don't acknowledge that I did such a great job and look at... And so it's... Public speaking is very difficult for them because they they don't like to show attention to themselves. Yeah, they don't like to be the center of attention. Yeah, yeah, so... I have a friend from Norway, so I kind of... Kind of know a little bit what you're talking yeah, about. And the yeah. day he just wanted to be left alone and listen to some classical music. And yeah. just, just get his brain back to normal from being in American schools. Right, right. <laughs> um, do you read your book reviews and how do you deal with the bad or good ones? I like the good ones. And you know what? When someone says something that's not favorable. I actually consider what they're saying. 
I give it some thought. Now, we're not talking people that are just mean-spirited and right, but people that believe what they're saying, and I give it some thought and wonder, okay, is this a possibility? Have I given someone this impression, which is was not my intent, or where would that have come from? And often it comes from their experiences and where they are in life or, or from my, other my nerve. Yeah. And I accept that. That's, they're entitled to their opinions. Yeah. Uh, I was getting some feedback on a video I released on YouTube and people were just being, starting to be jerks. And, and uh, I said, it's like, hey, constructive criticism is good, but if you're just going to be contrary to be contrary, just yeah. go away. Yeah, and, and that's it. It's it's like, if they're mean for the sake of mean, then they're not being constructive. And I'm in a creative place in my life. That's all I'm letting in. Some people, that's their hobby. It, it is. <laughs> Some people, and, and you understand that they really must have had a horrible life experience. Something has affected them in such a way that they're in such a... I, I know we have a uh, an HOA here, and we have a... Uh, What's an HOA? A, a homeowners Association. Oh, okay. And they, um, they have a website, just for our closed group. And I was saying something to one of the women who had written something, and I was saying something that my intention was to be positive and supportive of what she was saying. She was totally offended by what I said. And I said to her, don't get many compliments, huh? And she backed off and said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that that's what had happened. And I wasn't being, she thought I was being sarcastic. I wasn't being sarcastic. I was telling her I thought she was doing a good job, and I thought that she would do well on the board. And she took it as sarcasm. Okay. (laughs) Whatever. That's one of the dangers of writing, is that people take things wrong. they, They do. And they assume if you tell them how you do something, then you're telling them how they should do it. No, I'm telling you how I do it. You can do it or not do it. I don't care. It's a good way to look at it. Um, do you hide any secrets in your books that only a few people will find? I do. I have mm, secrets. I have dates I'm really big with. You know, I'll, I'll date something that's an important date in, in my life and experiences. And then there are other things that I remember that I've done or something or if I write something, someone else will read it and they'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's fun. It must be cool when you get the, the call and say, hey, was that about me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what was the hardest scene um, you had to write? I think we already talked about that one. Yeah, in my first book was the hardest, when I had to deal with violence. There's... there's there's not a lot of violence. In this book, one of the evildoers fell down some stairs and died. 
I wasn't sure how to handle that. Death is a part of life, but kids don't have to experience every part of life to, to, you know, things are appropriate with age. So it took me a while to just say it in such a way that it happened, it's over, done with. You know, that, you know, they, wonder, they chased him, he fell down the stairs, he died. Yeah. I was, I was, I did wonder about that because it, it seemed like it, um, you didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't want to make a big deal about it. I didn't, first of all, he was not a nice man. He had kidnapped a child. Oh, he does to kill him. not, yes. He does not deserve attention, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, if you give people attention for their evil acts, what does what are you telling kids? You know, uh, but I acknowledge the fact that, you know, I could have had him disappear. I could have done other things. I wanted to to be a finality in. Mickey doesn't have to worry about this yeah, anymore. The threat is gone. Yes. And that was that was why I did that. That it wasn't just I was killing off a, vi- a villain. I was killing off a fear. Mm. Okay. And, but again. Because I was curious about that. So that makes makes more sense now. Oh. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I, you know. You, I have this need to protect kids. I really, and I mean, most people do. I'm not, you know, anybody different. You'd hope so. <laughs> yeah, but, but at the same time, I have a story that has some things that are not pretty that happened to the kids, and I needed to solve that. I needed to figure out how that happens, what to do with them. And, you know, for better or worse, that's what I did. But it, it was suffered. I, I had to think. I had to figure out where I want them, what I want them to do. And you need to show the kids that uh, they don't all come back as zombies. No, they don't. <laughs> you don't all come back as zombies. Um, do, you Google, do you Google yourself? Yes. I absolutely do. And here's why. Over in the fact that I'm egomaniac... I actually think that as a writer, my reputation is very important. I'm writing for kids. This is very important to me, that that parents, kids, adults understand that I'm not a terrible person, that I have not done terrible things, that I'm hiding my life, and that what I have in the book reflects how I would like to live my life. And so I Google to make sure that the universe has not made changes in who I am. And, uh. Well, by reading your book, I don't think anyone would expect any terribleness in your past. Well, I had at one time, early on when I first started writing, in, they had a website, and I'm not sure how it worked, but kids could write things about teachers. Mm. <laughs> and I googled myself, and this was the first thing that came up. Was that what 
And there was one thing from one child. And I knew the child, and I knew why she was angry with me, because she hadn't done her homework, and I called her on it. Of course, there was no way to explaining to the world that, well, if she had done her homework, I might have been sweeter and nicer to her and not given her extra work. But she saw me as a mean, crazy lady. (laughs) I was always so nice to the teachers that they would always, like, turn it in when you can. (laughs) (laughs) And there were kids that go, but she, you know, it was like, I, I was just offended, and it was like, I had a reputation. The kids liked me, basically. They were glad to see me come. That's always nice. And, I, you know, I thought I did a good job. I thought I did a decent job. I thought I, I, I presented the world to the kids in a kind and gentle way. And I've since Googled it, and... I have no idea where it was, and I'm not going to search hard for it because then it'll pop up as number one again. We're not doing that. But I really, I I tried to address it with the uh, whoever was doing the site because I didn't think it was fair. I, I I thought that it was just encouraging meanness. Not that I don't. I respect a child if they've got a problem with me, you know. And she could have come with me and said, you know, you weren't fair to me. I had a really hard time. My mom was in the hospital, and, you know, I'll give her some slack. Explain to me why you didn't have your homework in. I'll give you slack. I won't embarrass you in front of the kids, unless I know you probably should be embarrassed slightly because you have an attitude that is you are self-righteous. And we have to knock you down a couple of pegs. But, <laughs> but, you know, I really tried to cut them a break. And had she done that, I would have been happily saying, I didn't understand. You know, let's work this out. Let's see what we can do. No, I, I did Google you, and I found your, your um, web page. And I uh, image search uh, get comes up with that picture there mm-hmm. and a picture of you and so yeah that was that was some that was like the first things i i found so that's good <laughs> yes it is good well i i when my son was in middle school i i had a an opportunity i lived in the school district which was called mars area school district mars. now can you see the potential in, in having a school district called Mars. I saw the potential. Sounds like something to write a book about. Uh, at the time, I wasn't writing, so I didn't think of that. But I thought it was time we had a mission to Mars, and I invited, I, I sent a letter to Gorbachev at the time, and uh, whoever the president was, one of the Bushes, and asked Senior, them, probably. asked them, I, it possibly, and I asked them each to send a cosmonaut and an astronaut, and we wanted to do this, and they did. So that that was great fun, but I couldn't pull it up on Google, and finally I wrote my name with NASA after it. So then it would come up, and I went, yes. <laughs> that, is, that is pretty awesome. I will, I will admit that. Um what one thing would you give up to become a better writer? 
I would happily give up all the marketing to someone else. Yes, I can agree with that. I, 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 that I would do. Well, uh-huh. not all of it, because I do like the book signings. And I do think it's important to keep your your finger in the mix so that what goes out is how you want to represent yourself. But mostly, I'm okay if somebody else says, I'll handle this. That would be nice. Yeah. As a, as a small business independent contractor, that would be so nice. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> and it's, this is going to sound funny, but I remember my husband had a job one time. Well, he had many, but this one particular job. And men today in the business world use their laptops. They don't have personal secretaries like they did in the 40s and 50s. And he happened to be in this one job that one of the assistants there liked doing work for him. So Don was able to get so much more done because he had this assistant doing all this stuff that just was time-consuming and it wasn't what he enjoyed doing. And he he really was very productive because he had the assistant. So I can I can see how it works on a real level. That I just said, you know, why don't these why don't they bring in administrative assistants for everybody? You know how much more these people could do. But if anyone's listening, five percent. <laughs> get the word out for me because I hate that. Um, <laughs> Uh, what's your favorite uh, childhood book? Eugene Fields' poems. Eugene Fields wrote a reader, and I don't know what, but that book had poems in it. Wink and Blink and a Nod. Um, Calico Cat and the Gingham Dog. I don't know. I think it was my mother's, and it happened to be in the house. And... Um, Little Tin Soldier and the Toy Dog. I love, I mean, these, I can remember the names because I read the book constantly and it was only, wasn't even an inch thick. But, but I just, it was a a fantasy, it was a a funny, he was a, a nice poem, poet for kids. And I just. I have to look him up. Yeah. Because um, some of the stuff sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Uh, so mine, uh, mine was, uh, Are You My Mother? If you're talking really young. Right. Are You My Mother? A Few Billy Goats Gruff. And then uh, it morphed into My Mother Reading Me, White Fang and Silver Chief. Okay. And, uh, and, and Tolkien. And so that was awesome. All right. <laughs> um, what's the most difficult part of your artistic process? I think it goes back to the the marketing, you know. Uh, It it really is challenging. It's it's condensing 400 pages into three paragraphs that have to wow somebody and and knock their socks off and every other cliche to get them to look at your book. At the very least, I exist! Uh, it's you know it's seriously it's it's 
it's very challenging. At the same time, learning about marketing, understanding what I needed to do here, what I needed to do there, I love because it's learning something new. It's creating something different. So in that respect, that process I learned, it became redundant and time-consuming and not what I want to be doing. Yeah. You know, I learned it. I know what to do. Great, terrific, wonderful. Move on. Well, likely, hopefully, someday you'll be successful enough you just be able to push that out. I would be else. willing to do that. Yeah. I have 5%? no problem. Same thing. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> um, does your family support your career as a writer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. I told you my husband was my rock the yeah. whole time I read this. My sister has been a great help with, I'd call her up and, and say, does this sound better or does this sound better? Or I need a word for this. Or she'd do some editing for me. And, and she was a great help. My son is my, my computer guru, but he also has a mind that's really incredible and looks at things differently. So he can say, I didn't know there was a difference between looking down from a hole and looking up at a hole. That to me, there was a hole and that was it. But he saw a difference in how I had phrased something and I thought about it and I thought, this is really fascinating how he thinks. And he would make other comments and, and question other things and it's like, I knew my son was bright. I, uh, there was never any question does about have, that. Does he have ADD? No. no. He's extremely talented. He's a nice guy. And he's got, he's very creative. All of which I respect him as a human being. So asking him questions was easy for me. But the input he was able to give me with writing the book was great. And then, as I said, with my computer, it was, Jason, I've left, lost my whole book. I'm really very anxious. Did that Jason, yeah. Oh, no. I'm trying to be calm in case you can't tell from my voice, but I really need your help. And he'd just go, you know, he'd log in push two buttons, and it would be back. And I'd be like, you know, it would be like <laughs> I'd drown myself in my sorrow if I hadn't had him at uh, the beckoning of my calls. That, that feeling would be terrible. Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. I, I, I was like, it's all gone. Uh-oh. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Forecast is brought to you by Mightiest of Swords, The Inkwell Trilogy 1 by Aaron Buchanan. All right, let me just read the back here. <clears throat> in a world, <clears throat> in a world, no, <clears throat> in a world, in a world, in a world, in a world, living under the facade of modernity resides ancient gods and practitioners of ancient magic. In Massachusetts, Gray Thoreau is a master 
of logomancy, the conjuring of magic through written words. Following an impossible theft, Gray uncovers an insidious plot targeting the world's aging population of gods. Along with her allies, new and old, Grey is drawn into the effort to thwart the plan, and in doing so comes face to face with her past, but also a purpose for her future. And now back to our irregular program. Hopefully we've been recording video this whole time, not just taking pictures. You've been recording video. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> little timer across the Little, little like, <gasps> just came to me for a second. <laughs> brain, my brain does that to me. Bad thoughts. Um, how long, on average, does it take you to write a book? This book, because of how concentrated it was, writing the book was maybe... Two or three months. Wow. But then when I went back and I edited and I, I, I added another hundred pages of detail, it was probably a year because I'd stop, I'd put it aside for a month, and then I'd go back and reread it and, and give my brain a chance to make sure that I knew what was happening. And, uh, so I would say a full year to, to write it. And as someone who loves audiobooks, are you ever going to have an audiobook version? I, I, I need to. I really need to do that. I just have it. There's so much with marketing mm-hmm. and then writing the second and third book that I don't have time to concentrate on that. Um, I had planned on... Uh, doing that, and my son asked me to wait, and I think now I have to get on him to see if we can't do that again, because yeah. that's the side he probably could handle for me. As a person with uh, insomnia and AD, ADD, uh, yeah, that, they, they help keep me, well, singer. <laughs> I talked to an interesting man, uh, some sort of a medical technician. Um, and he was, he was listening. I guess he was taking a cardiograph of my heart and he was listening to a, a book. And I'm going, how can you concentrate on that? And we got talking about books on, I guess this was tape at that point. And, uh, he said, he has learned to do both, and this is he, the only way he reads, and it helps him with discussing and reading to his child, because once he had kids, he wasn't a reader, didn't like it, didn't have anything to do with it, and once he had kids, he figured he ought to step up his game a little bit, so he started with the audiobooks, and now he's reading more of the middle school and, and such books. But he feels better about himself as a parent in that he can bring this to his son's education. And I was so impressed with the whole thought process that this man went through 
rather than to farm it off to that's what my wife does or he can learn that from his uncle or something. I I was very impressed with him. Yeah. Too many people devalue the whole, well, you didn't really read it. It was an audio book. It's, it's like, well, then, you know, if you ever if you've ever read old stories, a lot of those were passed down word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that's not valuable? But it also, it also, I think, made him comfortable enough that reading wasn't this all-encompassing, scary thing for him, that these are nice stories, these are interesting stories. Yeah. Let me read them to my son, or yeah, it was his son at the time. And so he was able to translate it into a different way of, of looking at it. Yeah, you ever, have you ever tried to hold a book while chopping out vegetables? It's, it's not easy. <laughs> not good. Huh? You cut yourself. Um, who is the intended audience for your book? I originally wrote it for kids 9 to 14. That, because I like middle schoolers, I thought that that would be a good place. You're about the only one. Well, I have some limits, but on a whole, I think they, they, they uh, you know, they, they have a potential that I really enjoy. Yes. So I wrote it for them, but I'm finding that adults are enjoying it. Adults like the, the story. It's a fast read. It's sophisticated for them. And uh, it brings back memories, you know. I, as someone said to me, an older gentleman said, I remember going on bike rides and going yeah. on the adventures and, you know, and, and things like that. And, oh, I remember my mama doing this or that. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of fun that, that, um, you know, writing and, and it's all connected. Well, um, a lot of adults will actually read, uh, youth fiction now. I mean, like I said, Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, uh, Percy Jackson. You know, um, a lot of they, I bet as many adults read them as, as, as kids. Or they may have started, there's so many of them, they may have started as kids. Maybe. Right. When I, when I was cha- cha- thinking of changing the name of the book, it's like, this is your baby. You've named your baby. And now they're telling you you have to name your child. A you know, <laughs> any parent would fight that, you know? Go to battle over that. And I'm like, okay, I have to be sensible. I can't take this emotionally. But I was at a, uh, a resort, and there were some women talking about reading in the pool one day. So I went in and said, I've been eavesdropping. I understand your readers. Let me ask you this. Told them the name of the book told them the name that we were thinking of changing it to, and asked their opinion. And they all said they had read the adolescent books, that they enjoyed them, that their book clubs read them, and that they would more than likely pick up Johan and the Secret Caves and Cordobian and the Secret Caves, because they said, once I put Cordobian in, and I have misspelled it, and it doesn't come up, I'm not going to try again. And I thought, you know, I appreciated the honesty. I appreciated that that this is my audience or not if if they can't find me. Yeah. So, um... Well, I think part of it is, um, you know, 
Harry Potter and the blah, 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 and Percy Jackson, blah, 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 Johan. You, you can envision you know, a person, and people like thinking about people more than, you know, almost more than places. I, 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 the only reason I was, con- I, first of all, I wanted the place, and that's how it got the name. But I also didn't want to genderfy it with it. Mm. I didn't want it to be a boy's book because of the title Johan. There's a young girl in here who is a, has a strong female role. She gets the boys out of trouble, and she keeps them on track, and she knows how to handle situations. And I, I'm really proud of how she she handles things. And I, but I want I want people to know she's there. And when it's Johan, I don't want her to get lost. Mm. So you know that's in the marketing. That's in the the talking up about. You know, I, I'd love when I'd have book signings and young girls would come up and I'd go, you're going to love this because I have a strong female character in this and you can relate. And I'd go, she's the one that's always getting the boys out of mischief. And yeah, and, and they know what I'm talking about. They understood what I was saying. Yeah, it's weird. Girls aren't just aren't as happy about getting hurt and stuff <laughs> as young boys. No, and, and, and Anna... Anna's prepared. She, the boys just go out and have their adventure. Anna is prepared for what may happen if the adventure doesn't go the way the boys have it in their mind. I think that seems to be very true, like you said about the, the different roles, you know, boys and girls. Yeah, they think, and honestly, I have a son. That was the, the best part of having a son was how different he thought. How, how in, Incredible! My life was enriched by a whole different way of looking at things, and it survived. and it, And I adjusted my life to fit that mentality. We, I don't ever remember him throwing a football in the house, but he probably did, and I probably just have wonderful memories and have have erased that. My brother, and my friends, and I—we did martial arts in the house. So. Yeah, but but. <laughs> I I had a, a living room that was arranged in such a way. It was a great room. He could roller skate in that. Wow. He could play Nerf football in that because it was a two-story and it was open concept. But all the kids came over to your house, huh? I, I don't know. I think they were comfortable when they came. That's good. Um, but it was just, you know, boys have things differently, so they need, you know, Maybe I would have had thick carpeting if it was a girl because she might have wanted to do something different, gymnastics or something. So I don't know. but I think it has to do with the, the whole uh, gray matter versus white matter. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and guys kind of compartmentalize a little too much. We can, you know, it's like the consequences are over here, but I'm, I'm looking right there. <laughs> uh, why did you choose to... Oh, why did you choose to write about Down syndrome and how does your personal experience affect the portrayal of the characters? Well, that goes back to Crystal, you know. I mean, I say that she's the most competent person in the whole world. She's 30-some years old. She has had the same job at the YMCA for 15 years. 
She pays rent. She grocery shops. She does her own laundry. She can clean when she wants to. She will change sheets on the bed. I, there's very little that Crystal does not initiate. You know, there are things because she needs to be reminded to do things, but some of those things are just, she probably didn't want to do it anyway. You know, she's human. It's always easier to forget the things she don't want to do. She loves to shop. (laughs) She loves to go to lunch. She loves to go out and get a smoothie. Uh, She goes to church on Wednesday night to a special church group. And they think she's awesome. She's out there dancing. She's out there singing. What else do you want for her? What else do you want for any? child or 30-year-old. She's so competent and she handles the world so well. Okay, she doesn't drive a car. Okay, you know, it happens. There, there are a few things that maybe she doesn't do, but you don't see them when you see everything else that she does do. Driverless cars are coming, so... Oh, well, I'm, I'm hoping, we don't like driving either, so... Yeah, I'm hoping my other niece will be available for that. <laughs> so go ahead and All right, I'll start. I think I'm going to skip over some of it. Yep, pick a scene. It's 13 pages long. Yeah, so pick a scene. Scene you like. I just want people to get a sense of your writing style. Go, oh, yeah. I'll just start in the. You know, it's it's so hard to. That's a hard thing to ask people. Yeah. All right, are you ready? Yes, I am. Ah! A pterodactyl flies over my house. The bright reflection from its orange wings almost blinds me. This happens every morning at 7 o'clock. It wakes me just like an alarm clock, a very annoying alarm clock. This time, it's blood-curdling. Definitely a louder, more frantic noise than its normal gravelly voice. Something is wrong, and I'm going to find out what. I jump out of bed. My wake-up shower can wait. Today I'm on a mission, and there's no time for proper hygiene. I grab my tan cargo shorts and shirt from the pile of the clothes in the corner of my room. Sniffing the blue T-shirt, I decide to toss it into the laundry basket and take a clean white one out from my dresser. My shorts are only slightly wrinkled, so I dress quickly and run downstairs to the kitchen. I grab my backpack, fill it with a juice box, a refillable container of water, my usual peanut butter and cracker treat, and Grandma's homemade chuladin chip cookies. That's chocolate in Norwegian. I added the pen knife Papa gave me when I returned 10. I carried the knife with me all the time. Papa died last year in an explosion at his lab. I miss him very much. He loved great adventures, too. Next, a flashlight, a rope, and some duct tape are added to my pack. I put my cell phone into my front pants packet, and I head out the door. I'm ready to explore. My name is Johan Christensen. I'm 11 years old, soon to be 12. I live on Cordobian Island with my mama, two sisters, my grandparents, two uncles, and a large community of amazing people. I'm on summer break from school, 
and most of the time I explore the island with my friends Christian, Mickey, and Anna. Today I'm in a hurry to solve a mystery. Cordobian Island is full of unusual discoveries, like pterodactyls that died out thousands of years except on our island. Our scientists have been studying this phenomenon for years. A new discovery is found on the island all the time. It is an island very far north above the Arctic Circle. It is 840.078 kilometers, or 52 miles, north of Nordkap, Norway. Nordkap is the very top of Norway, mainland, and the northernmost part of Europe. You might think our island is covered in ice since it is close to the North Pole, but it's not. Magma vents around the island keep us warm. Magma vents are holes about a meter around, 36 inches wide. They encircle the island. Each hole goes straight down through the water to the center of the earth. Inside is magma, a hot liquid rock. Its incredible heat rises through the holes. It mixes with the icy cold sea, warming the water and air around Cordobine Island to a temperature of about 25.5 centimeters, or 78 degrees Fahrenheit. For two centuries, the warm temperatures made it a perfect vacation spot for the Vikings. But today, there aren't any Vikings. Just me on another adventure. As I head to my bike, my short sto- I, short- I stop short and run back into the house. I forgot to leave Mama a note. Since Papa died, Mama is like a prison warden, always asking, where are you going? When will you be back? Who are you going with? Of course, she was worried before Papa died, but now it's more intense. If Mama's not on my Mac, then Nina, my oldest sister, is hounding me when she comes home from college. She's worse than Mama, if that's possible. This summer, my sisters, Nina and Kristen, are taking summer courses in London, England. They're super smart and have won many awards in science and math. After three months in London, they are home for a few weeks, then back to college in Oslo, the capital of Norway. Mama really misses them. I'm glad they're away because I get a break from their bossiness. Grandma says all birds must fly. I don't think penguins do, but Grandpa says it's an expression. Running for the door, I stopped to call Christian Nana. He's my very best friend in the whole world. He loves a good mystery, and we always go on adventures together. Christian and I have been friends for a long, long time. When we were little, we went to the daycare center at the Royal Academy Science Center. Our mamas both worked there as botanists. The science center is where our scientists research the plants and minerals of the island. We have lots of researchers living on the island. My papa, Dr. Paul Lars Christensen, worked there as a geographical engineer, too. He researched the properties of our rocks and minerals. Anyway, that's how Christian and I met. Christian's a great friend. He's a little taller than I am, and he whistles all the time. He says tunes get stuck in his head, and he has to let them out somehow. He's good at school and chess, but he's not a very fast runner. Christian picks up the phone on the second ring. I tell him about the sick pterodactyl in my plants. He's really excited to go pterodactyl investigating with me. His mama tells him to bring his little brother, Nicky. Mickey, he has a botany research paper to research, and Mickey will just get in the way. 
Christian says to meet at the cave on the north side of the preserve in half an hour. First, he and Mickey must pack their luncheons. Mickey is a nickname for his real name is Mikkel Hafter's grandpa. He's okay. He listens to me when he ignores Christian. I just have my two older sisters, and it's fun having a little brother to show stuff to. Mickey is shorter than most 10-year-olds. He has something called Down syndrome. Papa said that means he has an extra chromosome. Papa also said that means he has a double dose of cuteness. Christian says Down syndrome just makes Mickey mispronounce words, and it takes him longer to learn things than other kids. I'm like that in my math. On my way to Christian's, I stop at my grandmama's house. She will be interested in hearing about the pterodactyl's cry. I pull into the yard, but her bike is missing. I park my bike in the rack up by the porch and go into the house. She isn't home. She must have gone to the store or a meeting. She doesn't go to work until tomorrow, but her door is unlocked. We don't lock doors on Cordobian Island. Everyone is from one of the original settler families, except for a few who married into one. So we trust each other. Cordobian Island is a super place to live. We have lots of friends to go on adventures with, but it's a secret place, and we must keep it that way. No one outside the island can know of our existence. It must be kept hidden to protect the unusual plants, animals, and minerals. I sit on the top step and look out into the field. I'm thinking about all the stories Grandpapa, Papa, and Papa told me about Corbin Island's history. Okay. That's good. good, 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 good. That's it. We, okay. We're all, all done but the, but the outro. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thanks for having this conversation with me, and hopefully it brings more people to your book. Well, that would be wonderful. I want people to come to Cordobian Island. I want them to see a wonderful world that I think is fun, that I think their characters are interesting and human and wonderful. Here's a just off the top of my head question. Uh, does an island, is this based on uh, Spaldspard or whatever it's called? Uh the island up north of Norway, Svalbard. Oh, or is there a? Or is there, is there no, a there's not a real Cordobian island. <laughs> there is. I. I. I'm not sure. I guess. Well, Norway is a peninsula, so you really can't go south. So I had to go north if I needed an island, and because there's Europe. I mean, on the other on their side. So I was looking up there. And I came across one that's long year day, I think it is. Day. And I thought, oh, that's funny. Well, I'm going to put my island over here, and I'm going to call it. And so then I had to figure out. And I knew it was going to start with short, because the other's long. So I had short day I didn't like island and uh, other things didn't work, and I came up with Vienna is town. Mm. So it's short day town in English, but I liked the way Cordobian sounded, and it's an island, so that's how it came about. So it's and I pretend it's in it's between Long Ear Day and. Uh, and uh, Nordkop. That's why I was 
pronouncing it kind of weird at the beginning. I, I know I know a little bit of uh, Norwegian and uh, dog. Yeah, yeah. Good dog. They're not calling you a good dog. They're saying good day. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. It was very nice, very interesting. Nice, this nice, was nice fun. Meeting you. And hopefully you have a nice night. Thank you. And you too. Success. Thank I you very much. I'd like to see you be successful. That'd be awesome. Thank you, Barry. <laughs>